0: On this Lord's Day, it's good to be reminded of the width and the depth of the love of God. We have all known the pain of sin and shame. Thanks be to God that we can know the taste of His mercy. His mercy is sweet. So on this Lord's Day, we give thanks to God for His kindness. It was the kindness of God that led us to salvation. So on this Sunday morning, on this corner, in this city, in Texas, we give the Lord fresh thanks for his goodness. We say together, bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Amen and amen. If you found your Bible passage for today, it's 1 Peter chapter 3. Beginning in verse 8, we begin a new sermon series this week called Blessed. I believe that people are hungering and even demanding affirmation. You hear it all over the place. It's, it's, almost, it's almost without stopping. I hear in that a deep groan, a deep, deep hunger to know the blessed life of God, to walk in the blessings of the Lord. So for several weeks, as we turn the corner on these dog days of summer, and I'm ready for them to be over with, are you, (laughs) as we welcome many people back as we start a new school year, we'll begin at celebrating the blessed life offered to us by a good and a kind God. Hear the word of the Lord beginning in verse 8. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers and sisters, be tender hearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing. Knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. For he who would love life and see good days... Let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Let's pray. Our good and our holy God, on this Sunday morning, we give you thanks for the gift of worship. Lord, we're here because you've called us to be here. We're here because you've invited us to sit at your table. You have made good and precious promises that as we draw near to you, that you draw near to us. And Lord, that's what we're doing this morning in worship. And we thank you that you're faithful. We thank you that you're present. You've told us as we gather together in your name that you're present. And Lord, we've come together as brothers and sisters and welcoming friends. We've come here in your name. And we thank you, Lord, that you're here. We thank you, Lord, that you're here to hear our praise and that you're here to receive our thanks and our offerings and our welcome. But Lord, we are also we're also grateful that you're here to speak a word to us so as we open the Bible Lord we ask you to give us eyes to see and ears to hear give us hearts that are tender that would receive your word like a seed planted in fertile soil or give us feet that would walk quickly to do your will make our frame strong that our work in this earth would be like your very own and God as we leave this place as we enter in a a fresh new week we pray that a word of life and hope a gospel word would be found on our lips or this is our prayer in the beautiful holy and mighty name of jesus and we pray together saying amen and amen friends please be seated once again uh, three verse nine but on the contrary blessing knowing that you were called to this that you may inherit a blessing The idea that sits between us today is is this notion. You are blessed to be a blessing that you may inherit a blessing. Now that's a lot of blessings. You are blessed to be a blessing that you may inherit a blessing. From this sentence of scripture, let's look at those, those notions in turn. First, you've been blessed. I mentioned in the introduction that the world is hungering for affirmation. I'm a Gen X guy, and we prided ourselves in, in not caring what anybody thought about us. We just did our thing and, and said, "You like it or you not like it? We could care less. Younger generations that have come up uh, beyond us, they said, "No, that's not a good enough deal anymore. We have, we have carefully crafted our identity. We're offering it to you. and if you don't affirm that, then you have done us violence. It was a shifting of gears. I think the only difference between the younger ones and us was their being more honest. We deep down wanted people to affirm us too. But deeper than that, what we really wanted, what all people hunger for, is to know a blessing outside of us, to know a word of of blessing, a word of life, a word of hope. And in the Bible, this blessing came not because of a person's merits or achievements or identity or anything intrinsic to that person. A blessing in the Bible was an alien blessing. It came from above. It came from beyond. It came from God. And it came as an intrusion into life as it was going on. It it was an interruption. Uh, Blessings would come as interruptions. This this is the earliest in the Bible we have in Genesis. You have the story of Abram who had become the father of our faith, Abraham. And, And when God... When God intercepted Abram's life, it went like this in chapter 12 of Genesis. And now the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you, and by you and in you. All of the families of the earth shall be blessed. God was the actor in the blessing. He came to Abraham and said, come. I want to take you to a place. I want to show you a place. I'm going to bless you that the whole wide world can be blessed in you. Abram, you're blessed to be a blessing to others that you might inherit a blessing. You say, Matt, that's Old Testament. Aren't we supposed to be New Testament people? Okay, how about in the New Testament? Jesus' disciples. You have the calling of the first ones in Mark chapter 1. It goes like this beginning in verse 16. And as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of people. They immediately left their nets And they followed him. See, Jesus was a rabbi, and his word was spreading about his ministry, about who he was. and and normally, you would, if you wanted to be a rabbi, you would make application. And we have a daughter who'll be a senior in high school next year. And the question everybody asks her is, "Where are you going to go to school? Where have you applied? Where are you thinking about where you're going to apply?" And it was kind of like that with the rabbis, you know, people would sort of puff up their resume and they'd make application to these to these rabbis and, and then they would be accepted or not, and then they have to go figure it out. But Jesus the rabbi did it just the opposite. He interrupted the lives of some fishermen. They were going about their business, living their life. And from beyond, from above, Rabbi Jesus enters in and he says, Come and follow me. Come and follow me, and I'll make you fish for people. You're going from this to that. I'm going to transform your life, and you're going to be a blessing. Blessed to be a blessing that you may inherit a blessing. You say, well, Matt, those are the apostles. I'm not an apostle. Okay, but you're not off the hook. How about all of those places in the Bible where all the Christians are spoken of just at one time, at least in one place. Like the opening lines of Ephesians, where Paul is writing to the faithful in Jesus Christ. There's not a name one listed. Just all these faceless, nameless, faithful ones, all these no-name followers of Jesus. Paul's writing to them, and he says, "'Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ,' who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Those people who heard the word and trusted in him. Verse 13, you trusted the word of truth of your salvation. You believe this. You're sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance. Now these are Christians just like you and just like me. They were known as Doc Copeland and Jan to their friends, but the world's never known their name. Just like us. And the word says they were blessed to be a blessing and inherit a blessing that all the blessings, all of the blessings of Christ are for them and for you. For us, God, in His mercy and grace, has confronted us and he has said come and follow me find your life in me in this you will find your blessing in your identity in this you will become a blessing to others in this there is an inheritance prepared for you blessed blessed to be a blessing Now the text in 1 Peter that's before us lined out how we live as blessed people blessing others. It starts by by pointing out that we're in a community of blessed people. Uh, Peter's been writing to a bunch of Christians on the banks of the Black Sea. All these Christians in these little churches in Asia Minor. It's early days of persecution. The empire is not officially persecuting followers of Christ yet. But their neighbors were, their neighbors couldn't quite understand what they were up to and what they were doing, and, and they were losing out on business deals, and their friends weren't running with them anymore because they weren't doing the things that they used to do. And pressure was beginning to bear down on the lives of these Christians on the banks of the Black Sea. And and Peter had spilled a lot of ink reminding them of how glorious Christ was and what he had done to save them, how he suffered the just for the unjust to bring them to God, how, how they were sprinkled with the blood of a new covenant, how their life had been swept up into the grand story of the Messiah. He reminded them who God was and who, were, who they were in relation to God and the special relationship they had one to another, how they were part of a community of faith. And if they were going to make it in a world that was very, very difficult for people who followed Christ, then they had to lash themselves not only in faith to God, but to one another And that they, as a blessed people, were to be a blessed community and that they were to nourish and nurture a community of the blessed ones of God. He starts off talking about the community. He says, This is how you're to live. He said, Be united, be of one mind. And it wasn't that they were all to be Dallas Cowboy fans instead of Houston, Texas fans, or they were to all be of one political party and not the other, or that they were all to buy in that neighborhood and not that neighborhood, or that they were all to have, you know, uh, their 401ks almost perfectly match up. It was to be united in the Christ, to bow their knee, to the Lord and to worship him collectively. And as they grew near to the Lord, they would grow near to each other. He said, be of one mind in the gospel. He said, be a people of compassion toward each other. Have a heart that was alive and beating and passionate. Be turned to each other in kindness and compassionate. He says, above all, love. Love each other. Love each other. He would say in this epistle, love covers a multitude of sins. Meaning love does a lot of heavy lifting. Love takes care of a lot. If you'll remember that you have been loved by God and you love God back, you realize that you are to be in a people group who are called by his name, known as those who love one another. He said, be tenderhearted. Be courteous. Friends, I submit to you this morning you will not know the riches and the joys of a blessed life if you seek to live it alone. God has called us into a community of faith and he has called us to share our lives with each other. He has called us to love one another and to be tender-hearted toward one another and compassionate toward one another and long-suffering with one another. Because in this we find the blessed life of the Lord. There'd be far more efficient ways to go about it. God's not as concerned about efficiency as he is with glorious beauty. He's called us into a life together. And this life together is falling on hard times in the good old U.S. of A. Jake Metter just wrote a really interesting thought piece in The Atlantic. It began like this. Nearly everyone I grew up with in my childhood church in Lincoln, Nebraska is no longer a Christian. He said, that's not unusual. 40 million Americans have stopped attending church in the past 25 years. That's something like 12% of the population, and it represents the largest concentrated change in church attendance in American history. Let that sink into your bones for a minute. He goes in and he begins to, to look at some of the research done by social scientist Ryan Burge. They surveyed thousands of these persons. And to a degree, uh, some of the results were predictable. There was a small portion on a pie graph that said they left because of the compromise and the sin and the scandals in the church, and that's on us. But the largest the largest percentage of people completely turned away for the most banal set of reasons you can imagine. Life together in the name of Christ under his reign just didn't fit with the ideals and the passions and the pursuits of contemporary American life. And so they didn't stomp their feet and walk out, they just slid out the back door one week and didn't bother to go the third having forgot the second. So what's the answer to this? I'd like to wring my hands and say I didn't know, but I do know. The answer to this is the body of Christ. Those that remain strengthen the things that remain and build a type of thick, rich community that can bear witness to an alternative to the ship that is sinking. And that kind of stuff is made up of unity in the gospel and compassion and love and tenderheartedness and courteousness. For there is nothing new under the sun, and these gifts have been renewing the church of Christ for thousands of years. And they are our hope today. So there is a community of blessedness. Then there's a contrariness to blessedness. Uh, Hang with me. When when I was a kid, people used to say, she's very contrary. I mean, and whatever was going on, it's kind of, she was the opposite, you know. You ever known any contrary people? Well, in a world that's upside down and gone mad, from time to time, it's the wise ones that live contrary lives. And Peter said, look, don't return reviling for reviling or evil for evil. Don't do that. He said, on the contrary, on the contrary, blessing. Ray Summers said to return evil for good is animal-like. A wounded animal, when you're trying to help it, will often attack. To return evil for evil is human-like. I mean, that makes sense. I mean, that just seems right. That just seems just. You hit me, I'm going to hit you back as hard as I can. I'm not going to put up with any of that. I don't don't do that. You're not going to push me around. But to return, good for evil, that's God-like. It's contrary to everything that seems to make sense to us. It's out of this world. But in the gospel, it breaks into it. The blessed life is contrary to the rhythms and the values of the ambient culture. And because of that, it's the power of our witness. Third thing about it, the blessed life together is constructive. It it builds. It It does things. Peter switches, and he begins to quote Psalm 34, one of those great psalms, and it begins like this. He who would love life and see good days... This is the default telos of every human heart, the default goal of everybody. What do you want for your children? I just want my children to see good days and be happy. I want them to love life. What do you want for yourself? Oh, I don't know. I don't want to be rich. I just want to have a good life. I just want to have good days. This This is the unspoken and often spoken longing of every heart. And the psalmist and Peter echoing the psalm says, okay, you want that? Let me tell you how to go about it. He says begin to tell the truth he said let your tongue cease to lie live in the truth so much of what we do in this earth is we change our clothes and we we polish our mask and we be this for that group and that for another and we we slither through life like a chameleon and he says if you want to you want the life that god would have the blessed life of god you gotta start living in the truth Tell the truth. He said, turn away from evil. Tell the truth. Turn away from evil. I have a, I have a tote bag in my hand. Got it at a, a table at a conference years ago. This is a good tote bag because it's full of rocks and they're heavy. And most of us, we carry around something like this in our souls, rocks. The way we relate to evil most personally is in sin and shame. Shame is a rock in your bag. It's that stuff that you did long ago, or in the words of the Book of Common Prayer, those things you have left undone. Oftentimes, those are the things that haunt us. All that stuff's just in your heart. It's in your sack, and you're carrying it around. The things you've done and the things you've left undone. Oh, you've brought it to God, but then you pick it back up as fast as you can. It's just just haunts you. And then there's those patterns of life you're living now, those those little and those big compromises that are going on. You know they're less than what you're called to be as a follower of Jesus, but they're ever-present. They're always there. You've made peace with them, but they're gnawing on you. And you brought all that here with you today. And Scripture says, you know, if you want to love life, if you want to see days full, you got to do something about those rocks in your life, all that sin and that shame that you're carrying around. I mean, you're toting it around everywhere, and it's, it's hard to run with that big sack in your arms. It's hard to hold someone with that big sack in your arms. It's hard to offer gifts with all of that stuff you're toting around in that bag. And Peter says to see full days, to live life, he said, you got to, you got to do something with that. And the only thing Scripture allows us to do with it is to give it afresh to Jesus. To offer it to Him, to lay it down. Peter would say, cast your burdens on the Lord, your anxieties, your weights, for He cares for you. 1 John 1, to 8-10, hey, if you say you don't have any rocks in your life, you're just a liar. But if you're all for of your rocks to the Lord, he's faithful and just to take that burden from you, lighten your step, and bring joy to your days. The blessed life together is constructive. It builds up. So tell the truth and turn away from evil and do good. I don't think this needs a whole lot of Uh, explication I think we know what it means as followers of Jesus to do good I love the straight ahead encouragement of John Wesley do all the good you can by all the means you can in all the ways you can in all the places you can at all the times you can to all the people you can as long as ever you can the blessed life is not in holding and grabbing and living life like one glorified game of hungry, hungry hippos. It's to live it with open hearts and open hands, walking through this world, doing good. God would have us to be sanctified do-gooders, not in our own flesh, but in the power that he provides. J.L. Reeves said, it, and I've said it in this room before, any church that honors Christ as its head Will do some good in a community. Doing good is part of the blessed life. We've been blessed to be blessings that we may inherit a blessing. This is where we'll land this big cargo plane this morning. This idea of, of blessing, to inherit a blessing, it's not some cheap deal we're cutting with the Lord. It's just a straight-ahead reminder of God that blessings aren't limited, that there is no scarcity, no shortage. Remember during COVID, all the shortages of weird things like chips for cars? Your used car suddenly began to appreciate in value, going a different direction than it's ever gone in the history of cars? Shortages are powerful things, and, and you go through experience like that, and the spirit of shortage sort of gets down in your bones. And Peter will remind us when it comes to the blessings of God, there is no shortage, no shortfall. By offering the blessed life to others and the doing of good and the offering of forgiveness, we're not losing out. We're gaining. If I give you my lawnmower, I'm without a lawnmower. But if I give you my blessings from God, you and I both have the more. That's the deep magic of God. I think of it as seed. I'm, years ago, I was out on the Tromper's Farm. And it was quite a farm, and they took me into a big storehouse where they were storing the cotton seed. They said, Matt, you grew up in Mississippi. You might want to grow a little cotton. And they gave me a handful of seed, and I went home and planted it in the flower beds. Mary said, what's that coming up? I said, just wait and see. But imagine if they walked into that storehouse full of seed and said, man, oh, man, I love this seed. We're going to post guards outside and we're going to make sure it's hermetically sealed and we're going to make sure no rats get to these seeds and we're just going to enjoy these seeds as long as we possibly can. There's a word for that. Stupid. <laughs> a barn full of seed is for planting. They put it in the earth and they would watch it bring forth much. Much. It's the same way with our blessings. As we experience the rich life that God brings to us and we offer it to others, it's like we're going through the world with a basket full of seed. And instead of hoarding it or eating it, we're planting it and watching God bring the growth. Peter said God has turned his attention toward this type of living. He says his eyes are open and his ears are open And his face is turned toward those who choose to follow him in this way. Years ago, I was a very young pastor. I was in my early 20s. Some friends and I wanted to go to a pastor's conference at a big church in our area. We wanted to go there because there was a big name speaker that was going to be there. If I called his name, everybody in this room would know it. We wanted to go hear this guy speak. uh, And we all went to hear him speak. I don't remember a word of what the man said. I remember all the ways he said those words. His delivery, magnificent. I mean, it just had us all weeping and crying and shouting all at the same time, all discombobulated. He just had a, a gravitas and a charisma when he said his words, although I don't remember any of them. Not a decade later, His whole ministry had crumbled under the weight of scandal. There was another person there. We didn't go to hear this guy. I don't remember his name, but I remember almost all of his words. If I called his name, nobody in this room would know it. He was kind of a dorky guy, and his presentation was kind of dorky, and he had kind of a dorky stick. When we walked into the sanctuary, there were little smiley face stickers all along the steps. We thought, oh my word, what are we doing? We're going to bring out the paste and the glue and the pipe cleaners? What's happening? <laughs> and this somewhat no name pastor, I don't really remember how he said his words. I remember them, though. Because they carried with him the weight of a biblical authority. And he said, you can choose to pursue all manner of of goals and ends in ministry, you can live for almost any single thing. Your ambition can be driven by a hundred different things. He says, but if it's not driven by a desire to experience the face of God turned toward you, if it's not driven by a desire for the pleasure of the Lord, you will fail then he said, any of you pastors who want to live for the smile of God, come up here and get one of these stickers. I thought, that's kind of nerdy, but I'm, I'm trembling on holy ground here, so I might as well come. And we did. I have a Bible in my office with that sticker on the flyleaf, And right underneath it is, is the handprint of my daughter at about age three where she traced her little fingers. There's a lot of Bibles I'll give away. I'll hang on to that one forever because it's a constant reminder of the power of the blessed life. And that's the pleasure of the Lord. That's his open ears, his open eyes, and his face turned to us in love. We can demand that we are affirmed. Or we can open our life to the kind blessing of the Lord and be transformed one is far richer and more long-lasting and enduring and good and right. So instead of spending all of our time trying to craft ourselves for our own consumption and that of others, we should hear again the voice of Jesus say, come and follow me. I will bless you to be a blessing that you may inherit a blessing. Let's stand and pray our good and our holy God, we thank you for a chance to be in this room this morning. And we thank you that you've called us to a life that's blessed by your presence. We thank you, Lord, that you've called us to yourself and that you've called us into community. Lord, help us to view each person that you place into this body as someone that you've given us to love. And help us, Lord, through your spirit to love as you have loved us sacrificially and full and free. Lord, as we seek to follow you, there may be somebody in this room today, Lord, that needs to confess their faith in you and be baptized. Maybe someone who has discerned that this is the place for them to worship and serve. Lord, for whatever we got going on in our hearts, we pray that you would guide us and direct us and shape us and mold us to be more like your son, our Savior Jesus. This is our prayer in his name. Let's sing together. Andy, would you lead us?